Welcome back to the Innovator Podcast, the female entrepreneur series that dives into the stories of how women founders tackled hardship and difficulties to ultimately find success. My name is Erica Sullivan, and I am the host of the Innovator Podcast, and today I'm welcoming Alexandra Wall. Alexandra is the founder of Xandra Jane Design and Digital Pattern Library. She's a professional fashion designer, pattern cutter, and creative consultant with award nominations across sustainability and business. Having worked for luxury brands such as KTZ and Haute Couturier, Susie Turner, she now helps busy professionals, including high-profile influencers, launch their dream clothing lines while simultaneously running a company that marries tech with fashion so you can download your wardrobe. Alexandra, welcome to the Innovator Podcast. Hi, Alexandra. Welcome to the Innovator Podcast. I am so excited to have you on today to talk about Xandra Jane Design, the Digital Pattern Library, your path in the fashion industry, and so much more. So first of all, welcome. And secondly, I want you to start us at the very beginning. What was your early life like and how has your story evolved to get you where you are today? Jumping right on in. Hello, Erica, and thank you so, so much for having me on the Innovator podcast. Um, Yeah, right at the beginning. So you might have picked up on the accent. I am from Wales in the UK. Um, I grew up quite isolated. I grew up um, down a little lane that was called a hamlet. I didn't really have many neighbours, but I had an incredible country lifestyle and upbringing. as children, my sister and I were really left wanting for nothing. Um, and so I turned to creativity a lot without neighbours around me. And I immersed myself in poetry, uh, drawing, reading. Um, I definitely had friends at school and everything, but my home life was just a little bit more sheltered, I guess. And I grew up with a father who was one of the hardest workers. He really, really instilled my work ethic to what I have today. Um, And not only did he provide for my sister and I a a very fortunate upbringing, he also paid and provided for my mum's care. She had MS. um, And so growing up, we were surrounded by a lot of medical jargon, (laughs) a lot of... um, I don't, it wasn't negative. It wasn't negative at all. My upbringing was very, very positive. We were surrounded by love, but it was definitely testing. Um, And I unfortunately lost her two weeks after my 19th birthday. Um, She battled with MS and passed away when she was 56. Um, So that kind of tainted my childhood. That was a big, big part of my childhood. Um, Following that, I kind of went on to study fashion after all of the creative things I dipped my toe in while I was growing up. Fashion is what I settled on. Um, And that's kind of where it started and and where it took off. Um, Yeah, I, I found it very meditative to get lost in a creative process and to Throughout my childhood years, I think that's how I processed everything that was going on around me, is I just absorbed myself into working with my hands, into sketching, reading and and escaping. And uh, that's how my career started. That's where it's taken off. That's so fascinating to me that, you know, creativity was your way of coping with these hard things in life, because I've heard that very multiple times where 
they really found this creative outlet when something really difficult was going on and it became a coping mechanism that turned into quite a great career path. Yeah, and I think um, I was having a conversation with a friend the other day, actually, about how I was actually very academic at school and they supported me and supported me until they realized I wanted to study fashion. And they were like, you should be a lawyer. You should you should go on and be a doctor. Um, and they didn't really understand the value I had on creativity and, and how much that actually, without sounding cliche, fed into my soul. <laughs> you know, it was it was a big, big part of my life and, and obviously still is. Um, but yeah, you're right. I think a lot of people who are creative use it as an extension of themselves, as an expression of themselves when words possibly fail them. Um, and every creative person out there, whether you paint, dance, sing, create music, it's it's putting your vulnerabilities out into the world and saying to people, okay, criticize me. Okay, what do you think of this? And, uh, and it really is kind of exposing a side of you um, that, as I say, words might fail to do so. Absolutely. I completely agree. And another thing, too, that touched on exactly why I wanted to welcome you onto this podcast and why I love creatives to come onto this podcast, especially women in the fashion industry, is people don't see it as a viable career path. Like, it's so funny when I told people growing up I wanted to be in fashion. There's such a misconception around the industry that I love having people come on and tell the reality of the industry. Yeah, I'm nodding ferociously here. Yeah. <laughs> I completely agree. Um, and uh, yeah, I had a discussion with someone who took a psychology degree and they struggled to find work. Um, I've had someone who's taken, you know, English, all of that. I mean, medics are finding work quite, you know, guaranteed a job. But it's not just fashion that's a hard industry to enter. And yet it keeps getting bookmarked or put to the side as though it's, a wishy-washy degree to have or, or career to aspire towards. Um, and that's not the case, as, as my story definitely proves. It's not a conventional one. I didn't get into the industry um, easily, but I certainly carved my own path. Let's talk a little bit about, you know, where you were educated, because you did study fashion. Um, so can you talk to us a little bit about that? Yeah, so um, prior to... My mum's passing, I was actually doing a foundation diploma in art and design. I think I had decided by this point that fashion was the route I wanted to take. Um, a lot of that was in relation to my teachers as well. I think we need to sing their praises because they really can encourage you and form your opinions on what you'd like to choose. Um, so I had some really good art teachers behind me. Um, when my mum passed away, I took a year out and I gathered my thoughts, processed a lot and applied for university. And then I went and studied at UCA, the University for the Creative Arts, just south of London. Um, I got in there on an unconditional basis, which means I didn't have to um, get any certain qualifications. And yeah, so I, I studied there for three years. Um, which was which was amazing. It was it was interesting because when I the day I turned up to my university degree was the day I discovered you could study more than design. And by that point, I'd already enrolled in the course, but from a isolated Welsh mm -hmm. village and speaking to a career advisor that 
you know, brushed me off because I didn't want to be a lawyer. Nobody told me I could do journalism. Nobody told me I could do fashion promotion and imaging. So in my mind, it was only ever design. Um, but luckily, pair that with my stubborn streak. Um, I loved it. <laughs> it became my passion. It is my passion. So, um, so I didn't have to change courses. But my eyes were certainly opened up to the vast landscape that the fashion industry offers. It's not just about women's wear clothing. There are so many things that go into the industry. And I think I'm, I'm so glad you touched on that because people do not realize, even in the magazine industry. So I was reminded a couple of days ago about the September issue of Vogue. And I was trying to explain it to my boyfriend and he just did not understand. (laughs) He was like, are all the Vogue editions that big? And I was like, no, 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 you don't understand. Like, this is the biggest edition. It's such a big deal. And he's like, well, it doesn't make any sense. I'm like, Matthew, do you understand how many hands and how many jobs went into making that magazine a reality? Oh gosh, how much preparation, how many calendar plans are cancelled for it, you you clear it out earlier in the year. Yeah, it's, um, again, it's a, it's a constant battle. I mean, I'm, I'm sure I'll get onto this, which is one of the things that really drives my business is trying to connect people to the deeper meaning of fashion. Um, growing up, when I was all creative and all of this, I never ever thumbed through the pages of Vogue, and I still don't really do it to, to this day. Um, I don't necessarily follow trends. I certainly keep up with them as it, it's part of my job, but I don't follow them. I never really have. I wear menswear. I don't really dress like I'm out of the fashion industry. Um, and I think there's just a big stereotype around it that needs to be broken down. And I think even unless you're a nudist, and I mean each to their own, <laughs> If you get up every single day and you put clothes on your back, then fashion affects you and in turn you're affecting the planet. And it really is that simple and it really is that much of a big deal. And so let's talk a little bit about when Sandra Jane Design came into the story. Yeah, so um, when I graduated, I entered the industry and this was a pretty turbulent time for me. And there are a lot of horror stories out there. And the ones I'm going to share with you are the ones that do sound like a horror story. But I also just want to say for anyone out there that that it isn't all, you know, storm clouds. It really isn't. But these are the kind of things where my deepest lessons came from. Um, And so one of the first places I worked for was a luxury streetwear brand. And... As a fresh face graduate, I literally bent over backwards at this place. I was working 18 hour days, seven days a week, but they weren't paying me. Um, So it was a glorified internship. As a graduate, this is actually illegal. Um, The company themselves told me this. They put me down in their books as a freelancer and they paid for my travel expenses. The rest of my London living expenses had to be covered on my mum's inheritance money. I had my own team of interns. I had my own key to the studio where I would be the first one to open up in the morning, the last one to lock up at night after my 18 hour shift. Um, I would liaise with their barley manufacturer. I would run an integral role backstage at their fashion week shows. These kind of roles are not an intern's responsibility. Um, And obviously following on from this, I've, I've opened my mind and I've further educated myself on the 
exploitation of the fashion industry. But a lot of people think it is just a case of the sweatshops that are abroad that aren't on your doorstep. Whereas my experience was firsthand in a first world country in one of the fashion capitals of the world and my labour was being exploited. Um, how this comes on to my current company <laughs> is that um, following this and, and some other unfortunate events, I couldn't continue sustaining my lifestyle in London. I mean, I was paying £700 just to rent a bed. So I had somewhere to sleep at night. Um, so living costs were very high. Um, income was was rather low at one point. Um, and as I say, I was I was rinsing through, unfortunately, my mum's inheritance, which wasn't the ideal way I imagined spending um, that kind of money. So I moved home. I moved home to Cardiff. It was a very hard decision for me. Following that placement, I did did work for other companies, but um, it really, really left a bitter taste in my mouth um, about the industry. And I started to realise how unethical and sustainable everything was. And I didn't vibe with how I was co contributing to that as somebody working in the industry under these fashion houses. Um, and so I moved home. I moved home with a little bit of money left in my back pocket. And Cardiff, if you've even heard of it, is certainly not a fashion capital. <laughs> um, it's a very rural, very lovely Welsh city, but uh, not much in the way of paving the fashion world. And the stubborn streak in me came out and it was either return to retail which is soul destroying everybody please be kind to people who work in retail they deserve it um or start my own brand and I did I started my own streetwear line but to support that I also started Zandra Jane Design and Zandra Jane Design helped people launch their own clothing lines my in my industry experiences had taught me very much how not to run a business, which is equally a valuable lesson. Um, and I had a passion of making sure people worked with people that they trusted. And so I started Zandra Jane Design, which helped busy professionals who maybe didn't have the industry experience or didn't understand what a tech pack was or how to actually piece together a collection. And I work closely with my clients and we launch successful brands time and time again. You are not kidding about the retail industry and people needing to treat those working retail kindly because I worked retail, as have many people who are interested in the fashion industry to learn the lay of the yeah. land. And the women who came in were nasty. Oh, Erica, you like the half of it. The, honestly, the day my mum passed away, I was doing a shift in, um, well, in my job at the time, which was in retail. And I, I was crying on the shop room floor, understandably. I had a woman throw a shoe at my head and shout size three. <laughs> As I was crying on the shop room floor, like the treatment people get working in retail is, it's beyond me. It's really beyond me. No, it, and, and it's funny to me too. Actually, it's not funny. <laughs> it, it's, not, it's not okay. But the fact that everyone who works retail has this story, like we're not the exception. It's, it's, it's crazy to me. So again, if you guys are having a bad day and you're shopping and you're taking it out on someone working retail, <laughs> just, just know what it's like behind the scenes. Oh yeah, terrible. Always lead with love anyway. That's how you should live your life. Absolutely. I couldn't agree with that anymore. 
So you launched Xander Jane Design. It was in 2015. So you've had quite a bit of time now to grow it. So how has your company evolved and grown since that time? Um, well, in terms of, of my client-based company, it's been wonderful. Um, I've started to mature and evolve with what I'm offering. Unlike um, if you're a fashion designer who works in the industry, you're usually pigeonholed into just doing design, whereas my experiences have led me to be able to offer everything. So I can design, I can pattern cut, and I can really help my client get from A to B of working with a manufacturer. And how that's evolved um, has actually been a really beautiful collaboration with whoever I work with, and we, we've grown together. Um, my services are always improving. Um, they're now premium. They're now what I would regard a premium service. Um, and my clients reflect that. And it's just, it's a really beautiful thing to be able to connect with someone on something as emotional as their business. Their businesses are their babies. <laughs> and um, with Digital Pattern Library, which is my other business, this is where my empathy comes in. Um, when I moved back from London, I simultaneously started up a streetwear label, um, as I quickly just mentioned. And this is what's really, really grown and, and taught me the wealth of my knowledge. Um, I wanted it to be sustainable. I wanted it to be ethical for the for the reasons discussed. And what I actually did was something called a journey card with my ready to wear clothing that was shipped out to customers. And this journey card was um, our USP. It went on to garner quite a lot of award recognition and it really, really helped me out with my PR and marketing of growing the business. Um, essentially what it was was a swing ticket assigned to each unique garment and it would detail the concept through to creation. So we spoke before Erica about connecting the dots and making people understand the impact of the fashion industry isn't, isn't frivolous. It's not just pretty clothes. And these journey cards would detail the names of my interns who made the yarn, who were involved in the process. I was really passionate about giving them credit where credit was due. Uh, the name of the freelancers who would construct these garments, the geographical timeline of where I got the textiles from, who was the weaver of the textiles. And it tried to, my strap line was reconnect to your clothing. And what I wanted to do was create an emotive response from my customer to understand the absurdity of clothes that in fast fashion cost less than a coffee and how you have to grow a crop, harvest the crop, spin a textile, cut, pattern cut. So how can that be so cheap? And I really wanted my customer to question that and understand that and, and you know, create this chain reaction of confronting the industry and demanding change. Um, so a, a fear of waffling on how this eventually evolved was I wasn't aligning so much with um, ensuring my customer had this emotive response. And I was still facing sustainability hurdles. Um, I was still shipping items out. I was still producing clothes. Um, and as that business grew, what actually became my USP turned into a bit of an issue 
because keeping on top of a supply chain once your business is scaling at a rate you haven't prepared for um, becomes tricky. How do you keep on top of all of those names? How do you keep on top of the geographical location for each unique piece? And it actually started to trip me up. So what I did was pretty drastic. I flipped my business model on its head and I started charging fast fashion prices instead of my premium 300 pound jumpers. I started offering the similar level of luxury streetwear design. uh, But there was one catch, which was my customer had to make it themselves. And that is how Digital Pattern Library was born. That's so fascinating to me. I mean, talk about having to be innovative as your company's growing and scaling. I think people think that, you know, once you once you make it and your company's big, that it gets easier. But in reality, as you get bigger, it gets a lot more difficult. There's a lot more logistics there. The, you know, there's things, especially if you haven't run a business before. I, I didn't expect to launch my brand so early in my career. You know, I really did want to want to work under fashion houses for a longer period of time. Um, but you got to roll with the punches. And what the Digital Pattern Library does is it, it sells these sewing patterns and it teaches people to sew and it, it essentially equips my customer with the skills to render me useless. <laughs> really. Um, But what it has also answered is as a business model, I now earn a passive income, which means that I can focus on my clients with Zandra Jane Design. Um, All of the sustainability issues I was facing have nearly been abolished. I don't have to send anything out via postal, like lead times. I don't have that's reduced my carbon footprint. Um, We have systems in place to reduce paper and ink usage. I don't, I don't have the risk of sitting on dead stock anymore because my customer buys it as and when they want to make it. It's made to order. Um, and beyond that, I'm, I'm teaching them how to fit the garments to their body. Um, again, working in retail and, and every woman and man out there understands the roll your eyes frustration of high street sizing um, that's crippling our self-esteem. <laughs> um, whereas I'm teaching my audience how to make clothes that fit them beautifully. Um, so yeah, you have to, you have to pivot, you have to assess the times, especially now with everything going on in the world. Um, you're seeing technology marry with fashion more than ever, uh, which is actually a really, really exciting wave to be a part of and landscape to watch change. Technology and fashion is so fascinating. I can second you on that. It is, it's incredibly cool to see how the two industries are getting married. And I think in some way it does give us more credibility. You know, people who are using 3D printers and using CAD modeling in order to create designs and, you know, what you're doing, reducing the carbon footprint and teaching people this, you know, vital skill and items that actually fit them. That is a huge issue with, you know, items off the rack is they are not fit to your body. And then people feel bad about their own bodies and think that they have to change themselves to fit the clothing instead of vice versa. The power that a number has on somebody's psychology, like, oh, I'm a size 16, I'm a size eight, I'm a size four, I'm a size, like the power that number has over someone can be detrimental. And it's just so sad. Um, Ironically, my self-esteem and my confidence improved when I entered the fashion industry. Um, Okay, I am quite a lanky, um, slim woman, but I have scoliosis. I certainly don't have a bosom to brag about. 
and learning to make clothes that tailored my body um, does wonders for your confidence. And everybody deserves that. You know, you should be putting things on every day that that feel comfortable, that make you happy and confident. And that translates into every other area of your life, really. Yeah, it definitely does. Um, and my next question, you know, we've kind of touched on this a little bit, so the answer might be kind of obvious, but you've worked with some big names in the fashion industry, like All Saints and others. Um, but what was, you know, the big turning point and how to compare to being the founder and creative director of your own brand? I'm sure it was a, a crazy shift, you know, from the treatment that you had experienced before to now being you know, the founder of what you wanted to create and give to the world. Yeah, absolutely. I think, um, you know, All Saints were a fantastic brand to work for. Um, can I put that on the record? I know I've just dragged a streetwear company through the dirt, but All Saints were great. Um, however, you are pocketed into your job role. You are either a garment technologist, you are either a fashion designer in women's wear wovens, you get really specific. It's not just a fashion designer, you have to kind of specialise down, especially with a company like All Saints, because, um, you know, they are a kind of high end, high street brand um, that do churn out a vast quantity of items with new seasons. And you have to keep up with that. And so they specialize you and they hone you in and you and you whittle down into a very niche job role. And the biggest thing when I left and started my own venture was the creative liberation. I hire people now, but I still wear a lot of hats. I still, as a creative director, um, a founder and an owner, I still do the accounts I still do my marketing and have a, a serious say on how I want my brand to to look and translate I do my social media I do content creation um the sad truth of it if anyone is thinking that the fashion industry is champagne flutes and glamour is 90% of my job is probably computer-based um I do obviously create samples and pattern cut and sketch, but especially with my client work, it's, well, again, it's, it's all quite digital now. Um, but it's it's amazing. And the horrible cliche of no two days are the same, uh, but it's true. It's true. The biggest thing is, is work ethic as well. Um, I grew up with my dad paving the way for my attitude towards working hard and creating a lifestyle that, that you want to create. Um, and it's not easy. And I think a lot of people in the current climate who are furloughed, who are working from home, are discovering that motivating yourself and actually staying committed is a lot harder when you have the world on your shoulders and, and you're your own boss to an extent, you know? Yeah, motivation has to be internal, you know, when you're being your own boss and you're holding yourself accountable. Yeah. You know, sometimes... I've heard stories from, you know, women who have come on this podcast who didn't venture off onto their own path until they lost their job. Someone had to tell them that they were no longer coming in and getting income from this source. And that's really what propelled them to start and do their own thing. So they were really motivated by fear, you know, of not yeah. being able to pay bills and everything like that. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that's a quite a common um, backstory for a lot of people but it really, uh, you know, for some, it really, really can be 
unleashing and opening a new door um, and propelling them forward into new things. I think um, I've I've certainly not been perfect at this from out of the gates. Uh, <laughs> that's for sure. I've taken a lot of mentorship from my dad in terms of uh, he was a financial advisor, but in terms of a service-based business, a premium service-based business, um, how to really treasure your your clients and value them and, and show that to them. Um, it's taken a lot for me to understand the importance of routine. And recently, maybe over the last two years or so, it's actually been the ability to step back that has propelled me forward. Um, last year, I was the same age that my mum would have been when she was diagnosed with MS. And I think that had a profound effect on my perspective changed in, you know, as I was a young woman anyway, when you go through that kind of trauma. But I had another epiphany and it wasn't a wave of grief that I had lost my mum. It was a wave of grief for what my mum had lost, which from a, you know, just before she turned 30, she lost everything really I mean she her physical abilities deteriorated and I think that dawned on me in the last two years I have taken my health very seriously okay yeah the diet probably still needs a bit of a check-in <laughs> now and then <laughs> I'm uh, haven't, I'm not squeaky clean on that I'll be honest but in terms of getting up getting active not committing to my desk for the 18-hour shifts I was accustomed to um I think that's what's important to me now. And, and that reflects in my business. I have a healthier mindset. I have a healthier body. And ultimately, I have a healthier business. That's I mean, that is so important. I'm glad you, you know, spoke on that. And then you touched a little bit on routine. So let's dive a little bit deeper into that. And, you know, I asked the question every single person I have on this podcast to walk us through a normal day in their life, if there even is such a thing <laughs> as a normal day as an entrepreneur. Yeah, so um, I actually live with my partner, uh, who is a farmer, and we live on his gorgeous Welsh hillside farm that overlooks the capital city. And I'm very lucky. I have a custom built studio that's adjacent to a cow shed, but it's still a custom built studio. <laughs> so we'll, we'll focus on those positives. Um, but what dating a farmer results in is a very, very early start. And it's something I love to hate um, or hate to love. I can't quite make my mind up, but I'm very productive. I'll, I'll probably get up at around 5 a.m. Um, a lion is definitely a thing of the past. Um, and then I will head downstairs, probably do a couple chores around the house uh, with an audio book plugged in my ears or a podcast or something. Um, certainly tuning into the Innovator podcast from now on mm -hmm. to get my day started. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, at the moment, I'm listening to why I'm no longer talking to white people about race, which um, is a very humbling, informative uh, audio book that I would advise anybody, given everything going on, who feels like they want to further educate themselves to to have a look at. It's uh, especially for British history. It's it's very, very interesting. Um, I digress. Uh, yeah. So then I'll probably have a coffee. I'll try and read a physical book. I'm a bit of a knowledge absorber or I try to be. Um, and then as I've just touched on my health, I will try my best to go for a run. I'll, I'll go for a run 
around the mountain um, three times a week. And the days I don't run, I try to do yoga um, to kind of kickstart my day. Um, my work day itself is where my day is not a normal day. I'm afraid, Erica, I can't <laughs> can't give you a rundown mm -hmm. on um, on standards. It usually involves emails. It usually involves pattern cutting, designing something, um, social media, all those hats I've mentioned wearing. Um, and then I bookend my day with um, an evening routine, which I guess would be cooking for my partner and I. Uh, we sit down, we make sure we have a chat. A big thing we've tried to do throughout our relationship is um, leave technology out of the bedroom. Not, don't get screen time before uh, before sleep, which is a really, really good habit I've picked up as well. Um, and we sound so boring, but <laughs> we try and stick to Wednesdays and Sundays <laughs> for a film or for TV. So any adverts, any TV programs coming up, I have no idea because we... Uh, we try to keep strict on that one and, and just have time together. We both obviously farmer and a fashion designer live very demanding careers and lifestyles. So I think it's important for us to just come together at the end of the day and, and have some quality conversation. I think that's really important that you said getting technology out because I feel like so many of us, especially entrepreneurs or people who are in very demanding professions, it is so hard to leave your phone off, leave the TV off because you constantly feel the demand of your industry. And yeah. it's so interesting to think about a couple of years ago, well, more than a couple of years ago, but you have to think about the fact that we all weren't tied to our cell phones until pretty recently in history. You know, we're talking 20 years. So Absolutely. It's, so, it's so interesting to me to think about the shift that has taken place over the past 15, 20 years to now we feel like we have to be able to be reached at any time of any day, even on vacation, even in the wee hours of the morning. Yeah, yeah. And and I think as entrepreneurs, we do take that on our shoulders. And I'm saying, um, you know, the difference when you leave the industry, the nine to five and or, you know, 18 hours, whatever industry you're in <laughs> um, and you and you do start your own thing that is your own baby your business is your baby um you don't get to shut off from that you know you don't you don't get to even though i might not look at my phone it doesn't mean that something is consuming my mind or i'm lying in bed trying to sleep thinking of god i gotta send that email first thing in the morning or oh that's a great design i'm, I'm gonna make sure that i keep a note of that um I do keep a sketchbook next to me, next to my bed <laughs> for those moments. I just have to get it down on paper. Um, but yeah, and I think I think disconnecting is a big one. I mean, you know, speaking of habits and health, I try to meditate. I really do. Uh, that's my next, next goal to try and build. Um, and I also think we live in an age where perfectionism, whatever whatever form that takes for you. Um, you know, I, I mentioned that I don't really dress as though I'm out of, out of a catwalk, but my perfection perfectionism comes in the form of how I run my business and being accessible on social media. If a customer, you know, asks me about a product or if a customer, you know, is trying to learn how to sew and, and I'm the industry leader to them and, and they're turning to me for advice to have that discipline to say, do you know what, from 7 or 8 p.m., I'm not picking my phone up until I'm behind my desk at 8 a.m. Um, 
it takes a lot. It, it can take a lot when your business is your baby. But, you know, people understand. People understand. Yeah, I mean, that comes down to is I found that when I pick up my phone after hours, people are surprised that I respond. <laughs> so I'm like, huh, I should probably take that as like, you know, an internal sign that I need to unplug a little yeah, bit. Yeah, sure. I mean, uh, with my clients, I do make it very clear where my boundaries lie. I think in the early days, I gave up a lot for um, for them. But I turn up as a better service-based business now because of I have boundaries in place. I'm not stretching myself thin over seven days. Um, I used to get calls at 10 p.m. on a Sunday, you know, and you, you've got to draw the line somewhere in order to show up and be your best self. Um, but for Digital Pattern Library, it's more of a global audience. So my uh, my beautiful friends in America, <laughs> I guess with the time differences, it's uh, cross wires. But as I say, everyone understands, everybody feels the same about their own life and their own boundaries. And I think it's it's important to reflect on that for yourself and, and your own well-being. Another question I love to ask anyone who comes on the podcast, because I love getting book recommendations and resource recommendations. Um, just to build up my own personal network and then, you know, share it with other people as well. But what is a book, a resource or a podcast that you love and want to share with the audience? Um, okay. So um, since waking up at the crack of dawn and having to put a smile on my face, I decided I might as well try and make the most of it. Um, so Miracle Morning by Hal Elrod is actually quite revolutionary for me um really there's some really really good uh tips in there and actionable steps to get the most out of your day um and it doesn't need to be overwhelming i think that's the enlightening thing i learned from that book um atomic habits by james clear uh is also a very good uh productivity related book i think i listened to that one on audible which was quite nice to consume um and then resources, I guess. I'm a member of something called the Female Entrepreneur Association. It's run by a very inspiring lady called Carrie Green. Um, and I really believe it's worth its weight in gold. Back in the days where I was just setting up, where I still felt uh, imposter syndrome or I still felt green myself, it was a beautiful, wonderful community of like-minded women, not necessarily in fashion at all, just entrepreneurs. And I'm still in it to this day. And you can just lift each other up. And it's just a really fantastic community to be a part of. That's awesome. I'll, I'll definitely be sure to put all of these in the show notes. And I want to check out that organization as well. That sounds fantastic and exactly what uh, I need in my life. <laughs> come join me. Come join. I should be an affiliate. I'm not, I promise, but it's fantastic. <laughs> you should come join for sure. You're doing a great job selling it. <laughs> <laughs> Just being honest. <laughs> Absolutely. So lastly, where can the audience find you if they want to connect with you, learn from you, maybe, um, you know, check out the digital pattern library or anything of that nature? Yeah, so if you want to download your wardrobe, uh, create your own clothes and explore sewing techniques, you can be any kind of level, advanced, beginner, intermediate, whatever. Uh, I'm at Digital Pattern Library across both Instagram and Facebook. I also have a really, really fantastic free Facebook group called the DPL Fashion Studio. Um, I couldn't call it Digital Pattern Library Fashion Studio. That's a bit of a mouthful. <laughs> 
um, and it's completely free and there's so many workshops I do live streams and I just really get involved with my community I'm really passionate about making fashion accessible for all so I'd head on over there if you're interested in learning more and then if you want to launch the clothing line of your dreams I would catch me over at Zandra Jane Design across both Facebook and Instagram and my website for that is zandrajanedesign.com Alexandra, thank you so much for taking time to come on the Innovator Podcast and share a little bit more about an industry that is near and dear to both of our hearts. Um, but thank you so much for taking the time. Not at all. It's been my pleasure, Erica. It's uh, been so, so lovely to speak with you. Thank you for listening to the Innovator Podcast. I hope you enjoyed this episode with Alexandra Wall just as much as I enjoyed talking to her about the fashion industry, the highs, the lows, creativity, and everything in between. If you like this episode, please be sure to leave a five-star review. Have a great week, and we'll see you next week on the Innovator Podcast.